Welcome to the Calvary Chapel South Bay Sermon Podcast. We are a large, multi-ethnic, multi-generational church in Los Angeles, California, and we'd love to have you visit us for a service if you're in the LA area. Visit ccsouthbay.org to learn more about us and to find out service times. If you have any questions, shoot us an email at hello at ccsouthbay.org. Enjoy today's sermon, and we hope to see you at church soon. So the Holy Spirit's been giving us in Hebrews chapter 11, a bunch of human examples of faithfulness to inspire us. He wants to let us know outside of Jesus, human beings that were faithful. And so no matter, uh, he wanted us to know, no matter how long you go through something, you can walk with God like Enoch did for 365 years. He long-suffered on a godless world for 365 years. And if Enoch can do it, you can do it. Because none of us here, I guarantee, will live 365 years in this godless world. If you do, God bless you. He uses the life of Noah. That if you're the only person in the world, in your world, at your work, at your school, if you're the only person in your world who follows God, you can be obedient and do what God's called you to do just like Noah did. He wants to encourage us with the life of Isaac, that even though there's family pressure from your favorite son to do something ungodly, that you don't give in just like Isaac did. So now tonight we come to the life of of Moses. And I want to start in Numbers chapter 12, verse 3. Moses is speaking about himself and he says this, now the man Moses was very humble, more than all men who were on the face of the earth. You read that verse and you're like, Moses, you ain't so humble if you got to tell me that you are. But in Numbers chapter 12, Moses is wrapping up his ministry. And what he's saying in Numbers chapter 12, a true understanding of the Hebrew is this. Listen carefully. Moses is saying, I'm the most humiliated man that ever walked the face of this earth. That's what he's saying. You see, even people in the world recognize Moses as one of the greatest leaders that ever walked on the face of this planet. Yet I have found in my role that everyone wants to be the leader, but no one wants to walk the journey to get there. That's what I found. All these young guys, they can't wait to be the senior pastor here at Calvary Chapel South Bay. You know what I tell them? You go to Liberia and get shot at a couple times. You go to Iran and run for your life. Everybody wants the role, but nobody wants the journey. I read a book this past week, and uh, one of the quotes, I'll never forget, it says, I always say it takes me about 12 to 20 hours to make a sermon. This book said it took 20 years for that sermon to come out of you. Everybody wants the position, but nobody wants to carry the load. So Moses... He says, let me tell you about this leadership role. I'm the most, God has humiliated me more than any other man on the face of this planet. Think about Moses' leadership. 
He was rejected by the ones that he went to deliver in Egypt. Moses' leadership. He was made a fool, made a fool in front of Egypt's court. When he threw down his staff, it became a snake, and the Egyptians did the same thing. And God sent him there. He stood alone against an entire nation. It was him and God. Now, if I'm Moses, I'd be like, I hope you're going to show up as I hold this stick up. Think of Moses. Then they finally get out of Egypt. They finally get them out of Egypt. They're not even a few days into their journey, and God brings them to the Red Sea where there is no escape, and they all want to kill him. You brought us out here to die, Moses. Right after the Red Sea, you would think that they would never run away from Moses. Oh, no, no. The people rejected his leadership and rebelled against him only a few days after the Red Sea. Over onions and leeks. I don't even know what a leek is. And when he went up on the mountain for 40 days, he came down to a golden calf, rejecting Moses' leadership, his own family, Aaron and Miriam, rose up against him. Who wants his job? Greatest leader that ever walked the face of this earth, who wants his job? Truly, Moses was the most humiliated man that ever walked, the Bible is true, that ever walked the face of the earth. I understand this. I understand this. Because there have been people in my ministry life that I have spoken truth into their lives to set them free from sin. And I have found there's one of two ways they take it. They accept it or they reject it. Do you know that I've been teaching here at Calvary Chapel South Bay and somebody has gotten up and walked out and went, you should have read that email. Mm Mm-hmm. Because I find that those that reject truth that I invest in their lives oftentimes get bitter. And they do and say anything they want. Sometimes they can say the most hurtful things. Now, I am not, trust me. I am not calling out a pity party. I'm just communicating we have got keyboard warriors that will sit behind a keyboard and type up something thinking they're tough. And I always say, you ain't got a dog in my fight. Go to Iran first, and then we can talk. Now, let me explain something real, something. Um, I'll never forget, I was ministering to a premarital couple, and they were intimately involved. We'll leave it there. They were living together. And I said to them, um, I'm not going to marry you unless you choose to separate. You go to one room, you go to another room for three weeks, and then I'll marry you. I figured uh, Peter was redeemed in 40 days for denying Jesus. We'll give you 21, and we'll watch the redemption process happen. I got a phone call from the husband. She hates you. (laughs) I ended up doing their wedding. And when I went to go pray for her, 
when she was the bride, only four weeks later, she looked at me after I said amen, and she said this. Do you remember that day in your office when you told us to separate for 21 days? All of a sudden, her face twitched. Now, she's got makeup on. She looked beautiful. And she went from, like, like the Queen of Sheba to Ursula the Sea Witch. Like, I mean, it was like she just converted over. And she's, she goes, I wanted to wring your neck off. I hated you because I knew you were being truthful. And she goes, I want to tell you how thankful I am that I'm entering into my marriage and I feel pure. You see, church, some people will accept and some people will reject. And the first century church was facing the same dilemma. The government was sending them letters. You better stop this Christianity. Their family... Stop telling us that Jesus Christ died on the cross. We're Jewish. We're never going to be a Christian. They were facing the same dilemma because they were speaking truth, the truth of Christ, into people's lives. So Holy Spirit calls Moses to the witness stand to testify, to inspire, not just those Christians, but us as well. Hebrews chapter 11, let's take a look. Hebrews chapter 11, we'll pick it up in verse 23. By faith, Moses, when he was born, was hidden three months by his parents because they saw he was a beautiful child and they were not afraid of the king's command. Now, the Bible, if you saw, I know you want to read on. Come back, come back. You're the Thursday night crew, okay? As soon as I read a verse, you just want to keep going. I love that you love the Bible, but stay with me. The Bible presents to us three different phases of Moses' life. We're going to walk through the three of them. The first is his beautiful birth. The second one is he's the prince of Egypt. You've seen the movie. The third is, now you guys know, like they took some license with that movie, okay? All right? And thirdly, he's the leader of a nation. That's the way the Bible approaches Moses. The first is he's this beautiful birth. The second is he's the prince of Egypt. And the third is he's the leader of a nation. Now, once again, you have to recognize the writer assumes we have a lot of Old Testament knowledge because he's writing Jewish believers. But thankfully for Moses, we don't have to go to Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy because I know how much you love Exodus, Leviticus, and Numbers, and Deuteronomy. I mean, how many of you, your personal devotions right now are in the book of Numbers? Case in point. (laughs) So what the Bible does for us is give us some cliff notes. What the Bible does for us is give us a little cheat sheet on the life of Moses. And it's actually found in Acts chapter 7. Acts chapter 7, and Stephen is speaking. So let's go on over to Acts chapter 7, and let's look at our cheat sheet on the life of Moses, a summary, so we don't have to read Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. It's Acts chapter 7. We're going to pick it up in verse 17. But when the time of the promise drew near, which God had sworn to Abraham, now this is Stephen speaking to the Sanhedrin, The people grew and multiplied in Egypt till another king arose who didn't know Joseph. Verse 19. 
This man dealt treacherously with our people and oppressed our forefathers, making them expose their babies so that they might not live. And Pharaoh basically told the Jewish people to throw their babies in the Nile. At this time, Moses was born and was well-pleasing to God. And he was brought up in his father's house for three months. But when he was set out, Pharaoh's daughter took him away and brought her up as his own. Now stop there if you would. Stephen, our first martyr of the Christian faith, Stephen is giving his defense before the Sanhedrin. They were allowing him to communicate before they stoned him. Now they had always intended to stone him, and Stephen knew that. So he was giving them the gospel, and he actually calls them stiff-necked, just like Moses called the children of Israel. And what Stephen is doing is he's proving to them that they've always rejected truth. They've always rejected the deliverer that God sends their direction. It's no wonder that you rejected and crucified Jesus. You've always rejected the deliverers that God sends you. That's his point here. You rejected Moses when he came to you initially, uh, originally, who tried to deliver you. Now, let me give you a little brief review of the Old Testament for just a moment. I'm going to do a little Stephen for you so we don't have to go to Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. Joseph, the deliverer, was rejected by his brothers. He was thrown into a pit and sold into slavery only to deliver them decades later from a famine by bringing them to Egypt. What you meant for evil, Joseph told his brothers, God intended for good. Now, let me tell you about Joseph's family. They got stuck in Egypt for 400 years. Egypt was a great place for them for a while. And they were there for 400 years. And over the 400 years, they became a nation of 5 million people. And let me tell you why. The Egyptians would not intermarry with the Jews because the Egyptians believed they were descended from gods. So they would never mix with the Jews. So the Jews formed a true nation of Jews only because God put them in Egypt to form his nation. So there they were for 400 years. Now, God had told Abraham way before this 400 years, that his people were going to be in a foreign land for 400 years. Take a look at the screen. It's Genesis 15. Then he said to Abram, know certainly that your descendants will be strangers in a land that is not theirs, a.k.a. Egypt, and will serve them, and they will afflict them, how many? 400 years, and also the nation whom they serve, I will judge. Afterward, they shall come out with great possessions. All right, take a look. And also the nation whom they serve, I will judge. Do you remember the 10 plagues? God was not happy with the nation of Egypt for what they did to the Jewish people. We are coming to the end of that 400 years, and the Israelites knew it. They were looking for deliverance. They knew Genesis chapter 15. They've been in Egypt now for over almost 400 years. They are, it's just math. They're waiting for their deliverer. And in the midst of that, Moses is born. Now, when Moses was born, every parent looks at their child and goes, 
you are going to be the president of the United States of America. Because they're so cute when they're born. I mean, they just look at you and go, Ooh. <laughs> even their cry is cute. Do you know, even their poop is cute. It, it, doesn't, it doesn't smell. It's, it's, my, my wife says it's like hot buttered popcorn. You know, it's... <laughs> No, ask my wife. She says the favorite thing about the infants was the poop. I don't know. She's, it's a strange little thing. She just loves her children so much, even their poop she loves. Like, it, it, Sorry, I'm going on and on about this. If you haven't had dinner, or you did have dinner, and I hope it wasn't butternut squash. Okay, so. <laughs> That's not in my notes. It just came out. But Moses' parents recognize something about Moses. They looked at Moses and said, he's a beautiful child. Every parent says that, but you have to understand what's happening here. Hebrews tells us, we just read it in Hebrews chapter 11, that when they looked at Moses, they saw a beautiful child in their eyes. But Acts tells us, here in Acts chapter 7, if you'll take a look, Acts Chapter 7, he uses the same word communicating about Moses. At this time, verse 20, Moses was born and was well-pleasing to God. This well-pleasing is the same word that's only used in the New Testament in Hebrews chapter 11 when the Bible says that he was beautiful to his parents. He was well-pleasing to his parents because when they looked at him, there was something about him that God told them, he's anointed. He's anointed. My hand is upon him. He's well-pleasing to me. We're at the end of the 400 years, and the parents of Moses had great expectation that the deliverer was coming, and now they're holding the deliverer in their hand, and the Pharaoh says, kill all the male children. This is not a great time to be born. Because Pharaoh had made the decree, all male Jewish boys have got to be thrown into the Nile River and exposed. You see, the Jews were now outnumbering the Egyptians. The Jews were having 12 and 13 children when the Egyptians were having one and two. So they are now outnumbering the Egyptians. And Pharaoh is concerned that if someone from outside invades Egypt, the Jews are going to partner with the enemy and we're going to be overthrown. So we got to diminish their population. And some parents, terrified of Pharaoh, threw their kids in the Nile. Terrified. But not Moses' parents. They chose to live by faith, not by fear. They were sensitive to God's spirit and saw that God had something in store for Moses. So they disobeyed the law of the land to follow the heart of God. And this was a conviction. They didn't follow God on convenience. They followed God on conviction. And their conviction was God values life. Let me tell you why. It's Genesis chapter 1, verse 27. The Bible says this. So God created man in his own image. 
In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, and God don't make mistakes, he created them. God created male and female. We're made in the image of God. And because we're made in the image of God, God values all life. So much so that when Noah comes out of the ark, God tells Noah, he gives a Noahic covenant, and he says to Noah, you'll see it on the screen, Genesis chapter 9, surely for your lifeblood I will demand a reckoning. Life's important to me. And I want you to know how serious it is. From the hand of every beast, I'll require it, and from the hand of man. From the hand of every man's brother, I'll require the life of a man. Whoever sheds man's blood, by man his blood shall be shed. For in the image of God, he made man. Life is important to me because I made you in my image. And Moses' parents believed that by conviction. They were not believing that conveniently. They knew the word of God and they were going to follow the word of God despite the cost. I'm going to prove it to you. I'm going to prove how much they knew the word of God. After three months, little Moses got out of control. Because little baby Moses was a little good when he was first born. But do you know what happens at three months? And you got neighbors. And you got this three-month-old who is going to lead an entire nation. You know leaders, they're hard to raise. Leaders are difficult. I tell parents all the time, that's a leader. When they're running through the church and screaming at you, and you're saying, come back, and you're being all Christian and polite. Come on, you're in church. Come on back. And they go, now, and take off. I always look at parents and go, that's a leader. Leaders are hard to raise. So here's three-month-old uh, leader Moses, and he goes, yeah! and, and Jacobed, mom, Moses' mom, goes to, uh, okay, listen, we got to do something with Moses because he's a leader. So you know what she did? She looked up in Scripture something. And she had an idea. If God delivered Noah with an ark, let me make an ark. And maybe God will deliver my baby. She so believed in the deliverance of God, she made an ark, pitch, tar, and all. And she, put, she followed the government. She put her baby in the Nile, in an ark. She was just strategic in how she obeyed. Now, I'm not giving you any hint on how to do your taxes. Amen? Amen. Amen. This is on YouTube, and I want everyone to hear that. <laughs> and you know what Moses' parents did while he was up to three months old and with the rest of their children, Miriam and Aaron? They were investing the truth of the word into their children. And by faith, Jacobed, the Moses of mother, entrusted Moses to God in that ark to deliver him just like he delivered Noah. So he puts him in that ark, and you know what Miriam does? She follows that ark. And that ark, surprise, surprise, drifts right into Pharaoh's only daughter. A daughter who, surprise, surprise, has no children. 
So she opens up the basket. She sees that he's circumcised. (gasps) This is a Hebrew child. I'm going to need a Hebrew nurse. Miriam goes, I got just the person. She runs to Moses' mom. You'll never believe who found Moses, Pharaoh's daughter. And she brings the Jewish mother of Moses to Pharaoh and says, she can do it. And let me tell you something about God. You can't outgive him. Because when she gave Moses to God, God gave Moses back to her. And listen, Pharaoh's daughter paid her to wean her own child. Let me tell you something. You can't outgive God. The Bible says in Luke chapter 6, verse 38. That's why when people struggle with tithing, I go, dude, you are missing out. You can't outgive God. Look, Luke chapter 6, verse 38. Give and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over will be put into your bosom. For with the same measure that you use, it will be measured back to you. People tell me all the time, I can't afford to tithe. You know what I tell them? You can't afford not to. You can't afford not to be generous. Your stinginess is why you're always tight with finances. God can't trust you with a lot. Did that hurt a little? Are you mad at me? Are you going to accept it? Are you going to reject it? Are you going to write me an email? Are you bitter? (laughs) I missed you, obviously. I'm on a roll tonight. Let me tell you something. Christian parent, listen up. Investing godly things into your children while they're young. Invest godly things into your children while they're young. Godliness is the greatest value that you can give your child. It's the greatest asset that you can give your child. And I know that you think sports and activities and education is the most important thing that you can do for your child, but they are secondary to the priority of investing godly things. So when you miss church every Sunday because there's a game, don't come to me when they're 16 because you want me to fix your child in an hour because you forsook godly things for sports. You forsook godly things for their education. And then you wonder why, after graduating from Harvard, they want nothing to do with God. Are you bitter? Send an email. Trust me, 16 is coming. You won't regret godliness, but you will have great remorse for neglecting it. Trust me. Acts chapter 7, verse 21, introduces us to the next phase of Moses' life. But when he was sent out, that means when he was put in the little ark, Pharaoh's daughter took him away and brought him up as her own. Verse 22, now when he was 40 years old, it came into his heart to visit his brethren, the children of Israel. Here is the second phase of his life. We discussed his beautiful birth. Now he becomes the prince of Egypt. 
Let me tell you about Moses. Moses went to Harvard, Yale, MIT, Princeton, Oxford of his time. In fact, Josephus tells us the schools of Egypt were the finest in the world and held the largest volumes of book in the world. You see, when Moses's, when Pharaoh's daughter took him in, take a look at verse 22, Moses was learned in all the wisdom of the Egyptians and was mighty in word and deed. It's mighty in word and deed. You see, he learned all the wisdom of the Egyptians. He was a statesman. He was afforded the best education, and he took advantage of it. He became a scholar, and he became a scholar for a good reason. And I'm going to tell you what the reason is, because the Bible does it. Josephus, the historian, tells us that this pharaoh and his daughter had no male children outside of Moses. Moses was pharaoh apparent. He was the heir apparent. And not only was a statesman and a scholar, Moses was an incredible soldier. Would you take a look again at verse 22? Moses was learned in all the wisdom of the Egyptians, so he was a statesman and a scholar, but he was mighty in words. There's the scholar, but in deeds. That word is he was mighty in his job. Let me tell you what Josephus tells us Moses' job was. He was a soldier. And there was a time in Egypt's history, according to Josephus, that the Ethiopians attacked Egypt. And so they went to the oracles of Egypt, the wise people of Egypt, and the oracles recommended Moses to lead them to victory. And Moses provided a decisive victory against the Ethiopians. He was an incredible soldier. Moses had everything going for him. He had everything the known world could offer. He was heir apparent to the world's first worldwide kingdom. Moses. Verse 23. And now when he was 40 years old, it came into his heart to visit his brethren, the children of Israel. And seeing one of them suffer wrong, he defended and avenged him who was oppressed and struck down the Egyptian. He killed him. For he supposed that his brethren would have understood that God would deliver them by his hand, but they did not understand. The next day he appeared to two of them as they were fighting and tried to reconcile them, saying, Men, why, men your brethren, why do you wrong one another? But he who did his neighbor wrong pushed him away, saying, Who made you a ruler and a judge over us? You want to kill me as you did the Egyptian yesterday? Then at this saying, Moses fled and became a dweller in the land of Midian, where he had two sons. Moses becomes 40 years old, and something comes into his heart. Let me tell you what was happening. God's spirit began to stir the calling of Moses' life in his heart at the age of 40. You see, Moses knew that the 400 years were coming to a close because he had a faithful mother that invested it into him. He knew, according to Acts chapter 7, that he was the deliverer because his mom had told him he was anointed from birth. 
He knew it. And he thought, at 40 years old, this is the moment. The problem is he tried to do it in his flesh. He knew what he was called to, but he tried to make it happen what God could only do through his spirit. He didn't wait on the Lord. And it cost him a lot. Look at Acts chapter 7, verse 30. And when 40 years had passed, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame and fire in a bush. Not only did he have to hide for 40 years because he didn't wait on God, the Israelites had to live another 40 years in slavery because of Moses' mistake. Hey, church, our decisions impact us and the people around us. Our good decisions have great impact, but our bad decisions have great impact as well. And you think that your kids are not watching you. Trust me. Your good and bad decisions are leading and guiding them more than what you tell them they're watching. They're watching. And so whatever God's put on your heart, wait on the Lord for him to direct you. I have young men come to me all the time. The Lord told me I'm going to marry her. He told you that? Because the Lord told her that she's marrying somebody else. She don't even know your name. And it's amazing to me how young, these young guys will then begin some kind of pursuit and make complete dummies of themselves. And then the girl will look at the girl and, and go, boy, I don't even know your name. Like, move. But I love girls as well. Our guys here are very polite. Very, very polite. They will open the door for you. Single woman will walk through the door. And all of a sudden, something will happen in her. He opened the door for me. I knew he wanted to marry me. And before they leave the church building, they've already planned their wedding. Blows my mind. Now the next week, they sit next to him. The following week, they see him and they kind of trail him around going, wait a second, you wanted to marry me. No, I don't even know you. And they try to make something happen instead of waiting on the Lord. Sarah tried that with Abraham. Hey, why don't you go sleep with Hagar? Why don't you go sleep with Hagar? Let's help God out. How has that turned out for the Middle East? Wait on the Lord. Go back with me now to Hebrews as we continue the story of Moses. Hebrews chapter 11, would you take a look at verse 24? Hebrews chapter 11, verse 24. By faith, Moses. When he became of age, and we now know that was 40 years old, he refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. Verse 24. By faith Moses, when he became of age, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. By faith. You see, faith comes by hearing and hearing of the word of God. Moses knew the word of God from his mother, just as we said earlier. She invested faith into him. But I need you to see something. 
It took him till he was 40 years old to get it. Christian parent, listen to me. Hold on. Hold on. Trust God with the principles that you instilled into your current prodigal. Moses was 40 before he got it. Yours is only 19. Trust God. And Moses came to the point in his life at the age of 40 where he walked into his adopted mother and says, I'm not doing this anymore. I am not going to let my people suffer as I enjoy here in this palace. Moses was willing to lose his life to find it because of the word of God. Invested into him by his mother at the age of 40. Come on, gang, think of what he gave up. He was the heir apparent of a worldwide kingdom. He had everything the world had to offer. If there was a Lamborghini, he owned six of them. If there was an Aston Martin, he owned two of them. He had a house in Thebes, and he had a house, I can't think of an Egyptian, another Egyptian city, but he, he had one, okay, right on the Nile. Peter, help me out. Give me another city. Thank you very much. Cairo, that's obvious. Thank you. Don't know how that one just slipped through my mind. He had everything. I can't believe I couldn't think of Cairo. He had everything the world had to offer. Yet he made a decision. He made a decision to say no to the life of the world, to say yes to the life of the word. Hebrews chapter 11, would you take a look? Verse 25. Choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the passing pleasures of sin, esteeming the reproach of Christ's greater riches than the treasures in Egypt, for he looked to the reward. Moses said, I'm just going to say no. I'm just going to say no to the passing pleasures of sin. Sin can be pleasurable, can't it? I mean, at Thanksgiving, when we, we, we allow ourselves as Christians to be gluttonous one day a year, gluttony is a sin. Overeating is a sin. But Thanksgiving, we accommodate. And we say, because the entire nation is going to overeat, it allows us to. We're going to go along with the standard of the world. And we eat, and, and you know how like you're going through Thanksgiving and you just take a little bit of this and take a little bit of that and take a little bit, and for the it's like you've got a mountain on your plate, like it's a real mountain. And somehow you get through it. Somehow you eat it all. And then there's pumpkin pie, apple pie. Then there is coconut cream pie. There is, there is coconut cake. There is chocolate cream pie. There is, I'm sending all kind of messages to my wife. But what happens when you get it from the table? You can't. It hurts so bad. And your stomach is like, and then the chocolate chick cookies come out. And you think to yourself, I can just, some of you are like, could you stop with the food illustrations? That sinful pleasure is passing It only lasts for a moment, and I'm making fun of food. 
But that one night stand is over and you wake up the next morning. Accept or reject, send an email. Oh, I have no problem telling the truth. That's why I get so many emails. And so we've got to ask ourselves the question, is it worth it? It never fulfills. Rolling Stones, I think they sang a very spiritual song. I can't get no satisfaction. You too, they sang another spiritual song. I still haven't found what I'm looking for. And you look at them now, it's 70 and 80 years old. And they still haven't found what they're looking for. And they don't look great. And they haven't found it. And the world worshipped. And now there just has been. And life is over and life is fleeting. And they've got all the experience and the world's worship. But they still aren't satisfied. And Moses says, I'm not doing that. I'm not doing that. The Bible says that he esteemed the reproach of Christ. And what the writer of Hebrews is saying, he's letting us know that Moses, like Christ, was rejected by his people the same way that Jesus was. And Moses didn't let it get to him. You see, the writer knows that these people he's writing to are being rejected by their family. And he's pointing them to stay focused on the reward that's in front of us. We'll get a promised land. We get to go to heaven. Can we just be honest? Life can be hard. Amen? Amen. Okay, maybe for you guys life is great. But life can be hard, right? People can be harder. Even Christian people can be hard. And if this life is all that we have, we are the most pitied people on the face of the planet. But this life is not all we have. And the reason why people are so miserable in this world is because they're looking for everything in this life and they can't get no satisfaction. They still haven't found what they're looking for. But we have heaven. We've got a reward that's waiting for us. But listen, we've got even more than that. We don't just get the heaven. We get a life abundant. We have fulfillment on this earth. I have, listen, I need to, I'm writing you too. I'm sending them an email. I have found what I'm looking for. I found him. His name is Jesus. And let me tell you what Jesus says in Matthew chapter 10. You're going to love this. Matthew chapter 10, verse 42, 20, 24, sorry. I've got a little um, something going on. A disciple is not above his teacher nor a servant above his master. Um, sorry, that is not the right verse. Thank you. <laughs> That's probably my fault. Let me quote it for you from Luke chapter 9. You can write it in your notes. Luke chapter 9, verses 23 and 24. If you want, if you keep your life, you will lose it. But if you lose your life, you will find it. You'll find what you're looking for. 
Listen to what Jesus said in John chapter 4, verse 14. He's speaking to the woman at the well, and he says, but whoever drinks of the water that I shall give him will never thirst again. You'll be satisfied. Rolling stones, they can't be. Because they're trying to find something in the world. But we found Jesus and we're completely satisfied with his living water. So I'm going to do a rewrite of you two songs. But I still haven't found what I'm looking for. I found what I... I don't know yet, but we'll... (laughs) Jesus. Let's close this up because I could go on all night. Um, So we went from his beautiful birth. His parents invested faith into him. We see him as the prince of Egypt where he goes, I don't want that. I want what God wants for me. And now we come to the final phase of his life. He's the leader of the nation. Would you take a look at Hebrews chapter 11, now verse 27. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 27. By faith, he forsook Egypt. Now this word forsook, he left Egypt behind. Not fearing the wrath of the king, for he endured as seeing him who's invincible. Now remember, he's writing to a group of Jews who are afraid because of the wrath of the government. By faith, he kept the Passover and the sprinkling of blood, lest he who destroyed the firstborn should touch them. By faith, they passed the Red Sea as by dry land, whereas the Egyptians attempting to do so were drowned. Do you see that? By faith, he forsook Egypt. Moses heard the word of God, get out of Egypt, and he left Egypt. Egypt behind. If God is telling you to get out of the sin that you're in, get out. He's trying to set you free. It might feel like he's hurting your feelings and you may want to reject him and you may even get bitter at God because you want to marry that man, but he's not a believer. Get out. Trust me, your man is right around the corner and that man is blocking you from getting to him. Get out of the situation. Moses, when he got out of there, the enemy was mad. Moses took a step of righteousness. He did what God told him to do. And whenever you do what God tells you to do, the enemy gets mad at you. And Pharaoh was mad. And I have found in today's world for Christians that whenever you speak the word into a public setting, people are infuriated. You can be Muslim and say anything you want. You can be Hindu and say anything you want. But as soon as you say the name of Jesus, the world is infuriated. We cannot let the anger of the world make us afraid like those who threw their babies in the Nile. We've got to live by faith no matter the cost. And like Moses, we must endure by 
faith. Would you take a look at Hebrews eleven twenty seven again? By faith he forsook Egypt, not fearing the wrath of the king, for he endured as seeing him who's invisible. What? How can you see something that's invisible? Well, you see the wind every day, don't you? No, you don't. You never see the wind. You see the impact of the wind. You see the impact of the wind hitting that tree. And you see the tree move, but you never saw the wind. You see, Moses heard the word of God and he saw the power of God's spirit. He saw the handiwork of God in Egypt with the ten plagues and it gave him the endurance to press on no matter what God told him to do. We get to see the handiwork of God every day in our lives. We get to hear the testimony of what God is doing, resurrecting lives each and every day. See, Moses, he saw with spiritual eyes. And you know what his endurance did? Because he chose to endure in a godless world. Listen, church. Listen, L.A. Because he chose to endure for righteousness in a godless world, he saved the nation. Just think if he would have quit. It's Hebrews chapter 11. Would you look at verse 28? By faith he kept the Passover and the sprinkling of blood, lest he who destroyed the firstborn should touch them. Nine plagues have already passed. The Jews, the Israelites, have seen nine plagues, gnats and frogs and boils, but yet nothing came to the land of Goshen. But this plague, the tenth plague, Moses goes to him and says, listen, you got to listen to me. You got to kill a lamb, you got to take the blood, and you got to put the blood on the doorpost of your door. This has never been done before. Now, I need you to think about Moses for just a minute. When Moses first came to Egypt from Midian, the people rejected him because when he went to Pharaoh, Pharaoh made the Jews work harder, and the Jews wanted to kill Moses for ever going to Pharaoh. Now Moses comes to them and says, Look, here's the deal. We got to kill a lamb and put blood on the doorpost of the heart. You got to do a little color work all on the doorpost of your door. Otherwise, the angel of death is going to come through to your home as well. These people that rejected Moses before the first plague are now going to do something ridiculous because Moses told them to do it. You know why? Moses endured despite their rejection. And his endurance saved the nation. Church, let me tell you something. Sin is pleasurable for a moment. But its goal is to kill, steal, and destroy. It will always bring people to misery. But when people see the power of God operating in your life, they will come to you for deliverance. They'll come to you. You see, it was only a few months ago, a former student of mine called me. Hey, Pastor Chet, I need to apologize to you. Ten years ago, I spoke truth into his life. And he rejected it. And he ran away. Became embittered. But now he's married. You know what he said to me? 
Now I'm married, and I see the truth that you told me, how it set me free, and I had to call you and apologize. I know standing for truth in this world can be a challenge. But Moses did it. And what the Spirit wants you to know is you can do it too. And I want to remind you, they call it endurance because it's a marathon. It's not just enduring through one event. It's enduring through many different events. And in Hebrews chapter 11, look at verse 29. By faith they passed through the Red Sea as by dry land, whereas the Egyptians attempting to do so were drowned. Church, listen. Just when you think it's all good and you're out of Egypt, you're at the Red Sea. You got another step in your marathon to go. The Egyptians were infuriated and they ran after Moses. Their entire economy had just left Egypt. All of their workers had just left Egypt. Their economy was going to be destroyed. Their defenses were going to be left open. This was a nightmare for the nation of Israel. They were infuri- for the nation of Egypt. They were infuriated and infuriated, and Pharaoh ran after them. When the Jews saw them, what blows my mind, after the ten plagues, when the Jews saw the Egyptians, they were so rattled, they want to kill Moses. You brought us out here to die. But Moses endured. And in the midst of that chaos, now you've got to imagine the scene. The Egyptians come running up on them, and God throws down a pillar of fire so the Egyptians can't get to the Jews. So that's going on. You look this way, there's mountains. You look this way, there's a Red Sea. You look this way, there's a burning inferno. The people are saying, Moses, you brought us here to die. Kill him, kill him. I can't believe Moses. Why did we follow him? Ah, just imagine this going on. You know what Moses does? Hey, God, what do you want me to do? Because I'm in a jam. And you brought me here. You led me to my demise. I followed you, and you brought me to my own death. That's what it felt like for Moses. But God in heaven, he goes, I I didn't lead you to your death. I led you for myself to be glorified. Go put your stick in the water. Do what? Now, you're Moses. Uh, I don't know if you know this, but um, it's just a stick. Hey, Moses. You have listened to me your whole life. Go put your stick in the water. It's Moses. By faith, God told him. By faith, he puts his stick in the water. And the Bible says as soon as he put that stick in the water, an east wind came and began to blow the ground, blow that Red Sea until it blew it all the way to the bottom and it blew the ground dry for the children of Israel to walk across. Now listen, church. Think if Moses would have quit. Think if Moses would have looked at him and go, all right, just kill me now. I'm tired of you people anyway. (laughs) Nothing but a bunch of complainers and I know once we get to the wilderness, you're going to still complain. So just kill me. Here. (laughs) 
Just think if Moses would have quit right then and there, the whole nation would have died. But he stood up for the truth of Mo, for the truth of God. And what he was telling the Jews of the first century world and what the Spirit is telling you in L.A., you, if you're the only person, you can stand like Moses for truth. You can stand for righteousness. So church, the story of Moses' life is endure in speaking the truth and endure in living the truth. Let me tell you, people may hate you for it. They may hate you for it. But because of your endurance, God will eventually deliver them. But he's not just delivering them. Moses walked across that Red Sea as well. Moses was delivered as well. God was not just doing a work with the children of Israel. He was doing a work with Moses. Endure like Moses, church. I know we live in a godless age, but endure. Would you pray with me? Father, I'm just so thankful that Moses did it. Now, he wasn't perfect, and neither are we. And I'm so thankful that none of your servants... We're perfect. But you're using him as an example in our life tonight that we endure. So I pray for the Christian parent to pour Christian values into their kids. I pray that though we may have everything this world has to offer, we're willing to give it up for Christ and his namesake. Father, though the world may be against us for speaking truth and living truth, would you give us the power of your spirit? Would you give me, us, the power of your spirit to endure? If that's a prayer for you, just lift your hand and surrender to God. Just ask him now. Give me strength to endure. Just whisper that to Jesus. In Jesus' name, amen. If you didn't like anything I said, please email my assistant, Brandon. He would love to hear from you. You have a choice. We all do. We can accept truth or we can reject it. Don't grow bitter. Don't go the way of the world. Choose to accept truth. Thanks for listening, and we hope you were encouraged by today's message. If you have any questions or just want to check us out, make sure to visit us at ccsouthbay.org. God bless you guys, and we'll see you next week.